Hello, and welcome to a special end-of-year edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. The RHS podcast team have really been earning their frequent flyer miles, or their railway equivalent, in 2018. We've visited all four of our RHS gardens in Devon, North Yorkshire, Essex and Surrey. We've reported from shows, big and boutique, rural and urban. RHS scientists have kept you up to date on plant health research. We've launched a brand new RHS podcast, The Garden, taking listeners behind the scenes at our flagship members magazine. And of course, we've interviewed countless gardening enthusiasts, from horticultural veterans to new shoots, the young gardening stars of the future. It's so important that we get the young people involved because we're inspiring the next generation of conservationists and we need to make sure that there's someone there to protect our environment in the future and gardening is a great way to do that, not only for the habitats but also to encourage the wildlife for it as well. I'm Fiona Davison, Head of Libraries and Exhibitions at the RHS. 2018 has been a really busy year for us. We've been getting our collections ready to move to the new library at the Hilltop Centre at Wisley in 2020, and we've also staged a lot of exhibitions. We've uncovered the story of Miss Harrison, the young woman who at the turn of the century was turned down for a scholarship by the RHS, but later on went to a professional career as a gardener for the Cadbury family. Hopefully we'll be uncovering a lot more stories like this as we carry on research through 2019. Now Chelsea, for many the highlight of the flower show season. In 2018, the podcast team joined renowned designer and RHS council member James Alexander Sinclair. They went behind the scenes to meet some of the people behind the innovative garden designs, both in Main Avenue and in the new Space to Grow category. I am at the Chelsea Flower Show 2018, where I've been for the last few days, uh, because I have been judging show gardens, and that happens on the Saturday and the Sunday. And so Monday is a little bit of a moment where we all just exhale quietly and wander around and smell the flowers before the medals are announced Tuesday. I'm John Snow, I'm at the Chelsea Flower Show, and it is spellbinding. This is Joanna Lumley, and I'm at Chelsea! I come every single year, and it is paradise, it really is. I love it, it's an inspiration. And I am absolutely bewitched. My name is Shirley Ballas, head judge on Strictly. This is my first trip to Chelsea Flower Show. I've always dreamt about coming here. All I can see is a mass of the most beautiful flowers and roses. It's just beautiful. I mean, I just feel surrounded like one big flower. Hi, I'm Trevor Nelson. I'm here at Chelsea Flower Show 2018, and I'm glad to be here. This is my second year. Never thought I'd be into gardens, but I wouldn't miss it. Every year now I'm addicted. My name is Tom Massey, and I'm the designer of the Lemon Tree Trust Garden at the Chelsea Flower Show. The garden is set in Demiz Camp, which is a refugee camp in northern Kurdish Iraq. The idea is that it's a communal garden for a community of Syrian refugees. It's a space that people could enjoy together, they could learn how to grow things. Syrians, just like us Brits, are big gardeners, you know, they love gardens, they love scented plants. People that I spoke to in the camp said it was so important to have gardens and it's, it's often one of the first things that people do when they arrive. They build their home and then they start to garden. They get plants straight away and they, they start planting things and, and just start brightening up their spaces. Baroness Floella Benjamin here in front of my RHS Chelsea Windrush Garden. We're hearing waterfall, the water of the Caribbean, the vibrancy of the Caribbean, the chattel house with a round and square and an arched window, the flowers that makes you feel as if you are living, the kind of excitement that goes through your soul. You've got the flying fish, you've got the dolphins, 
and then the water, the anchor done in white and purple flowers. The dominoes here in the garden, they've got pictures and images of Windrush pioneers, the people who came here, uh, Lord Kittinger, who actually came here singing London is the place for me, which is known for Paddington, you know, everybody knows that song. But we've got the guitar in the garden representing the music and the culture, the food on the deck, the allotments with some of the plants that we have bought here and we grow here in our allotments. And everything is significant. We have a replica of the Windrush ship with the people waving as they arrive at the Tilbury docks 70 years ago. And look at the faces. They're, they're actually modelled on real people in Birmingham. They're 3D images and they are there to tell their story, the feeling of we are British and we want to come here to build Britain. And then on the other side of the garden, we have the British side of things. People came here to work on the buses, they came here to work on the railways, they came here to work in the factories, in the steel factories, they came here to work in the NHS. So we've got the nurse's hat there as well. So there's a story, a real story, but there's so also... Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The new Space to Grow category challenged visitors to explore issues such as mental health and plastic pollution through creative garden design. My name is Karen Wellman. I'm one of the co-founders of Pearl Fisher, which is a design agency. My name is John Warland and I am the garden designer for the Pearl Fisher Garden at Chelsea Flower Show 2018. Definitely John is garden guru of this concept, but we work very closely as a conceptual idea to take the world's largest garden to Chelsea, that largest garden being underwater, so that we could highlight the plight and the need for designers to design responsibly. And it doesn't matter whether you're a garden designer, an architectural designer, a packaging designer, it doesn't matter, but we can solve the problems before they even become the consumer's issues. The centrepiece of the garden are three aquatic towers, cylindrical in nature, maybe just over two metres in height, and they're full of a natural plant, the vallis, to reference some of the green oceans of the world. But within them, you're going to have up to 500 exotic Malawi river fish. They're incredibly colourful. The fish are going to sort of add that extra element of nature and, again, sense of wonder to the whole display. Within the garden, we have two sculptural figures. The pearl diver is based on the free divers of, of the world, the Japanese armoured divers, and the idea of her being a centrepiece and man and, or a woman diving into the ocean and the destruction and the beauty and the dichotomy of the, of the garden. Pearl Diver is made of a pattern of waste that would actually enter into the ocean. Plastic forks, plastic bags, washing up bottles, any type of rubbish that would normally find in the ocean destroying our sort of ocean's gardens. And then we also have Coral Man who is, um, the Coral Man has been created by Jason DeCare Taylor. He is one of the world's top environmentalists. He creates museums under the sea using incredible moulds of average people. He's put a whole village off the coast of Mexico. And what he's done with Coral Man is got this normal man walking and he's ionised him to create that sort of coral effect as almost as though everything is floating upwards and growing upwards. So it's now tinged with the same sort of coral colours of rust and, and, and green and, and, and brown that you sort of replicates what you see underwater. The plants are chosen, colour, form, 
texture so some of the plants are very silver in nature almost white and that's reflecting the bleaching of coral reefs mainly due to changing in sea temperatures sea levels and the loss of the beauty of the underwater world due to man's effect on it and the detrimental actions we're having through adding plastics into the ocean and the lack of responsibility we've shown over probably the last 30 to 50 years if not longer and it's really trying to invoke a sense of awe and wonder stop people get them to question what's going on talk about the garden it's a conversation piece engage with it visually so it's a garden of beauty but it's a garden of warning it's a garden of loss and onward loss if we can't draw a line in the sand and change that tide sooner rather than later Sadly, May also saw the death of Beth Chattel, a garden legend and Chelsea stalwart. She leaves a lasting legacy. Her work inspired countless gardeners and has changed the way that horticulture is perceived and practised. At the RHS Libraries, our shelves have got lots of books by Beth Chattel and they continue to be a really popular part of our collection, which is testimony to just what a difference she made to gardening. Here's a special interview with Beth and Roy Lancaster from the RHS Archives. For 25 years, after the house was built, we came to live here and I started the nursery. This was where my visitors parked. This was the car park on grass. When I was able to get a piece more land to put the cars on, I'm left with three quarters of an acre of gravel soil, gravel and sand, 25 foot deep, with a very, very low rainfall. So no, not roses, no, not heathers, what shall I plant? Well, I had in my mind I'd like to grow drought-loving plants here, but how? I mean, today you make a meadow, don't you? Just But, yes. but what? What? I, I couldn't see that. This, I couldn't see that. But I happened to be in New Zealand with Christopher Lloyd, where we'd been invited to do some lectures, and we stood on a bridge and looking over down onto a dried-up riverbed with a few um, scrubby plants here and there, the tea tree plant. Mm. Um, what did you call Leptospermum. it? Leptospermum, that's right. Um, I was fascinated, of course, to think that it, you know, we now use it in the bathroom. Um, and I thought, ah, that's what I want. Um, a gravel walkway with island beds and borders on and off. And see what I can grow that will, will stand the drought and will produce a picture here all the year round. Um, at the same time, I did also make the decision that this would not be irrigated and there is a notice at the entrance to say um, that this this garden this entire area is a horticultural experiment to help us and also our visitors who might have hosepipe bands because I mean um, 20 years ago even we were having more hosepipe bands I think the government had been so bothered with everything else that's going on that they've forgotten all about um, conserving water. Anyway, we haven't had any hosepipe bands, but I just felt that for visitors to come here as a public, which is not a public, as my private garden, which I share with them, t for me to have the luxury of hosepipes everywhere seemed a bit unfair. At the same time, to help other people that you don't, if you can't water, you can grow this and this and these and those. And so we do, we have, we have life here longer than we do anywhere else in the garden. Even the wet parts of the garden, like the water garden, everything disappears because that's the nature of it. Here we've got foliage, grasses, shrubs, texture, 
movement all year round. And I just love it. The late Beth Chattel speaking to Roy Lancaster. You can find listings and descriptions of all of our 2018 RHS gardening podcasts at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast index. At Tutton Park and Chatsworth House this summer, the podcast team weren't reporting about the show, they were part of it. For the first time, we recorded live podcast question and answer sessions with a panel of garden experts in front of an audience of show visitors armed with horticultural problems. This is the RHS Chatsworth Flower Show 2018 and it is not raining. Hooray! The sun is poking its little head from behind the clouds at that point. The place is full of plants, the place is full of gardeners, the place is full of gardens and everything. Who here has bought something that they really don't need? Of course you have, because that's one of the reasons why you're here, is to come and buy plants that you fall in love with instantly and realise there is nowhere at all to put them in your garden. You then get home and think, where the hell am I going to put it? And then you have to come up with something. So that is one of the reasons why we're here. The other reason why we're here is this, at this moment, history is being made. You are part of history. Because this is the first time that we have ever done an RHS podcast live Q&A session. So who is going to go first? Can you tell me what your name is and where you come from? I'm Margaret and I'm from South Derbyshire. My question is, how do you get rid of ants in a lawn? I have a big front lawn and I must have about 40 different ants' nests. I keep chasing for years and I don't know what to do. Lee, ants. Uh, well, they're, of course, great biodiversity. We would love to see little creatures crawling up our legs in the garden. But uh, where you do start to get a lot in the lawn, you will get these little mounds of soil. And, of course, you run the mower over and you get all these little bare patches squashed in. Uh, there's a great new thing, which is a biological control that you water onto the lawn, so we don't need to resort to chemicals. This is something we can order on the internet, mix up in a watering can, water it on, and it'll kill the eggs that are hatching uh, underneath in their nests as well. So a relatively safe new thing that we can try to make it a lot better. I'm Audrey from Chesterfield. I'm interested in growing some herbs. Uh, la- um Rosemary. Rosemary is very good for the memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, basil, parsley, and mint. Best to grow in pots or actually in the garden. Okay, herbs. Growing herbs. Helen, do you want growing herbs? Yeah, I can do herbs. Um, yeah, great growing herbs in pots, especially with things like mint, because you can keep them contained. If you plant them out, they'll just run everywhere and they'll be into everything. So they look lovely in pots as well, especially some of the thymes, and there's lots of different foliage types and colours in the herbs, so they look lovely arranged in pots. And outside your back door, you know, you can just nip out when you're preparing a a nice salad or some sort of meal and just you know pick them pick them fresh and and use them like that and they're brilliant and in the garden so i wouldn't maybe put the mint in the garden unless you've got somewhere where you can let it conolize because it just basically runs Uh, but if you're going to grow them in the garden they like most herbs like a well-drained soil a lot of them come from the mediterranean region so they don't want wet sticky clay in a shady position so i know chesterfield is known for its hot summers uh baking sun so choose a sunny site in the garden and if it's a little bit heavy maybe working some grit just to create that 
that lovely free drainage and plant at this time of the year because you know we've got the whole of the summer ahead of us uh, get them in there water them in to get them established and you'll find that homegrown herbs are so much better than these little pots you buy in supermarkets because when the sun beats down on them all the essential oils develop and they have so much more flavor and scent uh, and you know the perennials you can keep going for years and years and years so yeah I think that's your mission today marquee over there herb stand go and get your herbs James Alexander Sinclair and the panel at the RHS Chatsworth Flower Show James will be hosting another live podcast question and answer session at RHS Flower Show Cardiff on the 12th of April come along enjoy the gorgeous spring flowers and get advice on your garden and maybe say hello to the podcast team Tickets are on sale now to all our 2019 RHS shows. You can find links on our programme page. If you're a regular RHS Gardening Podcast listener, you may have been following the exciting developments at Wisley Garden in Surrey. Wonderful new plant displays and buildings are beginning to revitalise this much-loved institution. The RHS Regeneration Investment Programme has also enabled the other gardens to undertake some innovative garden projects. The podcast producers went for guided tours of Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon and Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire. My name is uh, Amy Beth Browning and I'm one of the gardeners here at Harlow Carr. I'm on the woodland team and I primarily work on the stream side as well as the woodland edge area of the garden. Right now we are standing on a lovely small bridge that is just located right below the sandstone rock garden that is surrounded by some amazing ferns, some lovely aspleniums and lady ferns and lots of different primulas. The sound of the water seems to stop everybody on the bridge. It doesn't matter how old you are, so the youngest kids uh, come up and they get really excited as soon as they hear it. Everybody likes to look over and see the reflection, which is also really lovely. And this is a great spot to look up and down. Um, You can see the curve of the way the water is going and bending through the garden. It's like the spine of the garden in a way. And you just have a really lovely view down to, you've got the beautiful maples that are just arching over the garden and a lot of the iris foliage on the other side. It's a nice little intimate spot, really. Spring is my favorite and autumn is my second favorite part of the season for this area of the garden because it's surprising how much color these herbaceous plants add to the garden. They turn lots of shades of yellows and browns and we don't cut things back till very late winter because we keep it for interest. The seed pods on the iris stay up for ages. Some of the fern fronds have beautiful yellow autumnal colors to them. So there's actually quite a lot of architecture that's left in this area and then you have all the trees and the maples in the background turning reds and oranges and yellows. So there's quite a lot really. Early in the spring um, you've got your wagtails going up and down and it's absolutely wonderful. They go fly right underneath the bridges like it's some sort of raceway. I love it. They return later in the season as well. Um, The robins almost throughout the whole garden but definitely all throughout this area. The stream sign, they're following us around a lot, which is wonderful. Um, And the wrens actually go in the foliage a lot because we've got so many oak trees and yews spotted around. You can hear them quite a lot. Lots of small bees and butterflies as well are attracted to it, especially when the sun's out and they're warming the wings. RHS Garden Harlow Carr. This summer, Hyde Hall in Essex was a riot of colour as it hosted Thompson & Morgan's Floral Fantasy Garden packed with creative ideas for bedding plants. 
I'm Christine Woodhouse and I'm the team leader of the Hilltop Garden. We're standing at the entrance to the Floral Fantasia Thompson & Morgan Garden. Floral Fantasia is a bit of a showcase of Thompson & Morgan's bedding plants, so everything they sell as seeds, and what you can buy off of them and grow in your own back gardens. The area before was actually our old vegetable garden, and it's kind of redundant because we've got our new vegetable garden, the Global Growth Vegetable Garden. The reason behind it really is we do have um, a relationship with Thompson & Morgan because they supplied the seeds for the big pumpkin. So it sort of seems right to really then sort of carry on a relationship, perhaps use the space that's been, you know, unused to sort of show their bedding bedding plants and um, funnily enough we don't use a lot of bedding plants at Hyde Hall at all really we do grow some um, but what we usually use them for is actually to kind of plug gaps in our herbaceous borders and our kind of borders around the hilltop garden and they really are sort of instant effect really the bedding plants sort of grown down here are sort of everything you could probably buy really um, and it kind of just proves to people you know how bright they can make their gardens how lovely they can make them look sort of instant impact as well but bedding plants are only really going to be a one-year sort of affair grow them from seed in February, um, plant them out at the end of May once all the frost has passed and, and then they sort of do their thing, you know, feed them, weed them, water them, um, deadhead them throughout the summer. By the time you get to sort of November time, they're pretty much finished. So it's a one-year sort of affair really for bedding plants. I think a real favourite probably is a petunia, I think, and it's certainly proved down here we've got a lot of petunias, pink and white petunias sort of hanging in front of me, and blue and uh, sort of purple and white, speckled really, it looks a little bit like out of space really, all sorts of colours, you can get bicolour ones or just sort of simple, just one colour, maybe purple, very, very bright colours. If we have a wander in, I'll show you around the uh, floral fantasia. So I'm, I'm Peter Freeman and I'm the new product development manager at Thompson & Morgan, so in charge of the trials and had great fun setting up this floral fantasia here at Hyde Hall. What we're really trying to do here is we're, we're trying to sort of showcase all of the varieties that we do in our seed catalogue, our wholesale catalogue, plant catalogues and um, a few of the new varieties as well so uh, it's a cross-section of all the varieties we do at Thompson & Morgan. This will go on right until I think it's the second week of September and obviously open whenever Hyde Hall is open it's open to the public so anybody can come along and see and see the uh, yeah wonderful range of mainly bedding plants. Amazing colour here at the moment. RHS Garden Hyde Hall in Essex. At Rosemore in Devon, visitors are enjoying unusual new garden areas such as the Stumpery and the Heritage Apple Orchard. I'm Miriam Petrie. I'm a horticulturalist at the RHS Garden Rosemore and work in the edibles department. And we've got typical Devonian weather here. It's a bit showery but very atmospheric today. So when you first arrive at Rosemore, the first bit of the garden that you see is kind of a secluded courtyard with seasonal plantings. As you approach the steps, all of a sudden, kind of the vista opens up to you, and you've got that amazing backdrop of our woodlands and the woodlands on the opposite side of the hill. And all of that is kind of just providing the right backdrop and the right scenery for the formal gardens that we're looking over. So you see very, very sharp, very crisp hedges cut into formal patterns, looking right down all the way along the bottom, and then split up into the long border and the lower shrubberies. And you kind of you want to know what's behind all of those. My name is Peter Adams, I'm the team leader of the edibles department and we're currently uh, studying the veg garden. Our orchards here, so we've got three main orchards, so we have the Southwest Apple Collection, which is a collection of apples that have been growing in the southwest to deal with our wet mild climate. We have a smaller orchard in the cottage garden, which holds older varieties to create a 
feel to the cottage garden. And then in the February of 2017, we planted our Devon Heritage Orchard which will hopefully come February 2019 hold 45 different varieties of Devon specific apple trees varieties that perhaps more at threat of being lost so some of them are just the odd tree now known to be held in private collections some people's back gardens so we brought together a selection of cider apples dessert apples and cooking apples into our new orchard to try and safeguard these varieties so they're not lost forever so they're all held and we can keep a gene pool of apples Hi, I'm David Perry. I'm garden manager for Edibles and Woody Ornamental. So the Stampery was conceived about two years ago. We, so it's a fairly uh, new addition to the garden. One of our team is a real fern buff, absolute mad on ferns and all things ferns. So she was really keen to have another area to expand that collection. So we thought it would be fantastic to do something original and um, make use of some of the materials we have on site, i.e. stumps. We've got 120 acres of woodland, so we've got a pretty good resource there to collect them from. So, yeah, a lot of them came out of the river Torridge that were caught up in the weir. They were dragged out by the Environment Agency. So we then harvested them kindly from their efforts and have used them in the stumpery to great effect, I think. So that then creates a lot of sort of microclimate and pockets for the planting to be added to within the stumps. RHS Garden, Rosemore in Devon. Remember, if you're looking for a bit of gentle exercise and fresh air this new year, there are beautiful winter walks to enjoy at all of our gardens and many partner gardens. We've put links to more information on the podcast page. Twenty eighteen also saw the launch of a new monthly RHS podcast. Today it's jingle all the way as the team puts the finishing touches to our December issue, obviously with the obligatory Robin feature in it, and we focus on plants with a Christmas flavour. Our next The Garden podcast is released in January. You can find previous episodes on our website and enjoy the exclusive in-depth interviews, including this one with Great Dixter's Fergus Garrett. Tell me about your personal journey and how you've become increasingly aware of, of the benefits of wildlife in the garden. Well, for so many years, I wasn't aware at all. I mean, I used to look out for uh, the lovely butterflies we used to get in the garden and sometimes go out and, and you know, Christo and I used to count them on an Escalonia bifida and see if we could get over 100 at any one time. We weren't sure whether we were counting the same one moving around the bush or not, you know. So is that, And, of course, <laughs> uh, as I said in the article, we... we um, uh, we've had great crested newts, have great crested newts in the sunk garden pond, which we celebrated every time we saw them. And and occasionally we see a grass snake and, and see a, a woodpecker here and, here and there. And, and they were the things that we sort of um, ticked off our list and that, and that was it. But it never went any deeper than, than that. And, and so, as you know, with Dexter, we carried on with our flamboyant displays and... Um, but then, you know, there was a part of you that that looked at the meadows and thought, well, this this the feeling that you get from the meadows almost goes deeper. You know, it takes you back in time, and there's something mysterious about it. And it was on, wasn't just the, the the community of wildflowers in there, but it was the chirping of the crickets and the the life that was in there. And then suddenly, you'd cut the meadows, you put all the hay on the back of a tractor, you take the hay off to be composted. 
and the whole floor of the tractor would be moving with insects. You know, it'd be little oh, sort wow. of bugs and wow. grubs and spiders and so on. And so you thought, oh, hold on a minute, there's a, there's, you know, there's a, there's a whole sort of uh, microcosm life of life in, life there, in yeah. there that we're not aware of. But then it, it didn't go any further than, um, than, than, than that. Um, but I am married to an ecologist, and and she uh, works with exotic animals as well as uh, native animals. So you know, I love the way my wife Amanda always stopped to look at a you know uh, a little bee or a little fly or a spider and and even wood lice. You know, she'd say, "Oh, that's a pileated wood lice, and that's interesting, and all of that." So I love. I was fascinated by by all, all of that, and. And then just we met a man, Christo and I met a man who was interested in swifts and he came to talk to us about putting swift boxes up at Dexter. And he was just so mesmerising, really was. And and um, we sort of fell in love with him, really, and the way he was just so passionate about his subject in the same way that we are passionate about our, our subject. And that sort of, sort of opened up a little door. Fergus Garrett speaking to Chris Young, editor of The Garden magazine. Well, that's all we've got time for, and we've only just scratched the surface of the fantastic gardening stories we've covered this year. Luckily, you can find it all to listen to again online, and we'll be back with even more in 2019. Until then, goodbye from all the podcast team, and have a happy new year. We'll leave you with some New Year's gardening resolutions. My plan for 2019 is to actually sit still and enjoy the garden a bit more. It's a bit too tempting to see it as outdoor housework with just a list of more jobs to do. So I'm going to stop, look and listen in the garden. My name's Matthew Pottage and I'm the curator of RHS Garden Wisley. So I've been asked several times, what's your New Year gardening resolution? So I was scratching my head and one thing that is maybe not hands-on gardening, but it is very closely linked. I keep getting a lot of people now saying to me, why aren't you on Instagram? Why don't you use Instagram? But having looked at some Instagram pictures, it's a very beautiful screen. I can see there's a lot of good stuff out there. I think it's probably time to look at Instagram. So I've decided, okay, I will join that in January. So I look to join the, uh, the Instagram world and see what everyone else is up to. My name is Karen Robert. I'm a, one of the trials project leaders at Wisley. One of our resolutions for next year really is to look at how we're going to get out and about more and find more off-site trials, sites and promote the water garden merits to a wider audience next year. I'm Chris Young, the editor of The Garden Magazine, the members magazine for the RHS. For 2019, my one resolution is to buy some Rosa Mutabilis. And anyone who's seen this rose, it's a beautiful plant. And it's got these lovely flowers that sort of change colour from pinks and oranges and, and emerges over the season. When I've seen it growing in different people's gardens, I've always just become a bit obsessed about it because it has a refinement to it and a classicism to it that just makes it have its own kind of stately present. It's not too big, it's not too daunting, you don't have to worry too much about how you look after it. It's just a great garden plant that should be grown more often. I'm Matthew Cromie, one of the plant pathologists here at Wisley in the Royal Horticultural Society, uh, and my New Year's resolution is to convince people to grow the right plant in the right place. People can get rid of most of the problems that they have just by choosing the right plant. <laughs>